It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 621 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. Hey, I'm honored to be joined by my guest today on the show. Joining me is Tony Chan. He is, Tony is the CEO and managing partner of Cuball Capital, which is a Boston-based venture firm. And he's author of a very interesting book titled Good People, The Only Leadership Decision That Really Matters. And we're going to dig into some of the major premises from Tony's book in today's conversation, including a topic that's very near and dear to my heart, which is why character matters. Uh, my last episode, our last episode on the show with, with Bridget, last week we talked about character. So as, as Tony cites in his book, fully two-thirds of employees are unhappy and unfulfilled at work, and only a third, the third that remains, obviously, would recommend that their friends join their company they work for. I mean, it really boils down to an amazing lack of trust in institutions and in their leaders. And as Tony, Tony points out, you know, leaders are taught competency, but not character. And he thinks that goodness, the quality of goodness, which is, is more than competency, you know, it's our authenticity, it's your values, your character. It's what separates good leaders from those who aren't. And we're going to explore how to identify and hire the people that possess the right values and character and turn them into leaders who in turn can develop other leaders. It's a great conversation. I think you'll really enjoy. So make sure you stick around for that. If you'd like to see show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 621. And before I talk with Tony, let me remind you that if you haven't signed up yet to receive my periodic emails, then you're missing out. I save some of my best advice about sales, leadership, marketing, relationships, resilience, and character for my subscribers. So visit andypaul.com right now to subscribe right on the homepage there. You'll see a form, a little brief form. Just give us your email and we'll get you on the list. All right, let's get to it. Tony Jan, welcome to Accelerate. Thank you. So uh, I've got a standard question. I open the show with these days. That tends to vary over time. But today's standard question is, in your mind, what, what's the single biggest challenge that faces sales reps today? Well, I think the entire organizational structure is um, changing quite, um, quite radically. Um, by that, I think it it used to be that it was fairly clear where you go to find, you know, the person who has the money, the authority and the need, um, of, uh, of, of any, any decision. As we go into more decentralized, um, more empowered organizations, I think trying to understand who your real customer is, um, increasingly, um, becomes challenging and understanding in highly decentralized organizations where your offering or product that you're selling can have the greatest impact is perhaps harder than um, it was before. Ironically, we're, you know, we're now in a time with greater connectivity and in many ways greater modes of making, um, uh, making inroads to organizations, but truly finding um, those leaders, those people who have um, accountability and authority, uh, I don't think it's quite as um, straightforward uh, if the trends continue at the most forward-thinking organizations. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm just thinking about that for a second. Um, 
All right. Yeah. Good answer. So, so, um, yeah, I wish we had, <laughs> you give me something to think about here. I've got to, I'll come back to that as we go through the show, but, um, well, I'll give an example. Sure. You know, I'll, I'll give an example. So we, we've been fortunate, uh, you know, in my day job, I, I play the role as a venture capitalist uh, in our firm Q-Ball. And, and, and in many cases, we become quite active with the portfolio companies. Um, one example of a business that has grown substantively over nearly 10 years of becoming involved with it, uh, ShapeUp, that has now um, joined forces with Virgin Pulse, um, that's Richard Branson's Virgin. Uh, we are the leaders of corporate wellness um, in the um, organization. So what is corporate wellness? Well, in uh, most uh, self-insured organizations, they have some budget um, for wellness programs. Well, you say, okay, well, that seems fairly um, obvious. Well, you know, at first you would say, okay, maybe I go to HR and then within HR, I go to benefits. Um, but I think what we found is what problem are we really solving and, 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 and who does that impact? And this ties maybe to a larger topic we will discuss is wellness is something that um, is driving, especially in the millennial generation, um, engagement into organization. So engagement is about having people excited, motivated, willing to recommend their job to another friend. And yeah, generally speaking, that's in the HR office, but suddenly now you have a CEO issue or you have a department head issue. And who, who cares about engagement and selling at that higher level um, is likely different than someone who you know, cares about wellness and in every organization, you know, it's, um, it's slightly different. It's, yes. uh, it's, it's, it's not the same. So it's not like you can have a playbook and say, okay, let me, let me just, you know, whip out the fortune 500 list of, you know, chief human resource officers and just call them. Um, because in some, it may be their decision. In others, it may fall into uh, a department decision. In another, and you could say, well, that's kind of the same. But the thing that's changing in organizations, if you believe the theses of people like uh, Stan McChrystal and Tony Shea and others that have written about systems thinking and systems mm -hmm. organizations and um, information being disseminated, increasingly the most forward-thinking organizations are trying to put that decision-making at the point um, where someone has the most information. And, you know, that it, it's not immediately clear who would have the most the best information as to what, uh, what, the why, the how that drives engagement um, inside an organization, and that's you, you know, so it's 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 never as straightforward, I think, as uh, as as we make it. You know, I think as we move from kind of top-down, pyramidal uh, command control organizations to more. Um, decentralized um, hallowarchies of, of, mm -hmm. of, of organizations, uh, I, I think there's great benefits, but I think it's, it's also not always clear um, who, can, um, who can make the decision.
Yeah, and I think the critical point you brought up, and so what's happening in my reading of uh, with the companies I work with and, and doing what I do is that, yeah, at the same time where it's becoming less obvious who that person is with the most information is that pe- companies are becoming more rigid with their implementation of their playbooks. Right. And so we've got this disconnect that's happening where you know, what we're doing is we get, especially we see with, <laughs> I see this with account-based sales, account-based marketing is, is we're selling to personas instead of selling to people. That's exactly it. That's a better way of putting it. And it's 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 becoming to me it's reaching sort of a critical tipping point because yeah I think we have a generational issue where people aren't learning the skill that you were talking about is how do we find the person who like I said cares the most has the most information and I have my own example of that is I had a client worked with was one of the larger companies sort of cover about half the United States doing corporate delivery of meals. Mm. And this was a huge engagement issue, right, for employees. And they had, well, name names, but they had one of the largest tech companies around as one of their big clients. And they were making a push to say, we didn't want all the purchases to be done so ad hoc and some bigger of our clients. We wanted to try to get agreements, right, some corporate commitments and so on. So in this, in this particular company who was doing hundreds of thousands of dollars a month with them in business, you know, sort of $30 at a time, they couldn't find out who the person one was that was really making the decision. Mm-hmm. And what they ultimately found out was the admin to the CEO. Well, there you go. <laughs> but right? intuitively, no one would have thought that's the person, right? They would have thought a- there's got to be a VP level somewhere, person somewhere. And if you go by the playbook and you, you know, if you insist that you're going to sell to your personas, you're going to miss this completely. I, I think that's so well put. I'm going to steal that line. I mean, my business partner always said when we're doing organizational design and looking for these things, whether it's sales or product development, you, you got to separate out the hat from the head. And it's easy to draw the hats. Sometimes you're not sure where the right heads and hearts are that match that hat. So, yeah, well, I like you, that too. I like you, that too. You know, so so heads and hats tend to be different things, and you, you know, and and that's the challenge. That's that's probably a better way to put it because it's very easy to go and say, hey, there's that title, but you know, where that actual authority or or need or heart really lies um, is is often in in an organizational squeaky joint, right? Like, yeah. you know, you, you know, you're not sure, like, you, you know, someone has delegated to someone who's delegated and, you, you know, your example is brilliant. And sometimes that could be um, uh, an admin, um, you know, you, you know, person. So and, that, that and just people, doesn't. You, you, there's there's hundreds and hundreds of, um, you, you know, example. I'll give one last one really quick. In a prior career, like uh, another Fortune 500, 40,000 employees, um, looking to um, really drive, um, you know customer um, research information um, for product development. So everyone is going out talking and looking head of product. This must be CEO. I mean, clearly this is information for head of product and Mm -hmm. uh, we don't really do that information. And when you go through the whole workflow, what you found out eventually for the CEO, where this CEO wanted to gather all his customer intelligence information resided in customer service, okay? <laughs> yep, in customer yep. service, people at call centers, people like who were front of the line, and they were the research gathering body 
um, for the organization as a as almost centralized shared service. And you could spend a long time looking in the product department <laughs> uh, or or department exactly. head, but um, that's not um, that's not where it was. It was actually uh, actually uh, you know and you know like your admin example, it, it's kind of intuitive, but. You know, how many organizations have that intuition and forward thinking to say, hey, you know, the best place for me collect customer research and the place I would need tools to help organize and segment and, you know, distribute that is uh, in, in, in our customer complaint department. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So let's, let's talk about your book. Uh, you've written an excellent book called Good People, The Only Leadership Decision That Really Matters. And... As you and I talked a little bit before we started the interview, is is this is this is a topic that more and more people are writing about. You know, being good, creating cultures of good, uh, you know, caring, develop a level of caring. So why why this book? Why now? What what about this topic that really spurred you on? Well, I think over the past decade, we've either seen a um, steady decline or a stagnation in uh, cultural engagement in the workplace. Uh, Today in the U.S., you have uh, a workforce population that is only 31, 32 percent engaged. What that means, uh, at best, only about one third of your employees are happy to be at work um, and willing to recommend it to um, a friend as a place where they feel they have a meaningful role and are learning. Um, the inverse of that is that um, 60, 68% of the workforce today in America is either indifferent or wishing to leave their workplace. That's an astonishingly high number um, that has uh, remained um fairly steady over the last decade. Um, Now, layered on top of that, over the last few years, you have seen the sharpest decline in institutional trust. Um, We've seen it um, on a kind of media level and movement level from things on Occupy Wall Street to, you know, marches back into Washington um, and all sorts of different levels of you know, um, uh, citizen engagement and, 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 and protest. Um, but from the workforce standpoint, the, um, organizational body that has basically dipped down to the lowest level of trust relative to government and, and, and media and NGOs is business. So in the business world, based on the Edelman uh, Trust Barometer and and mm-hmm. others who have studied this, you're 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 at best somewhere around high 40s in terms of uh, being in a, a workplace that people actually trust. Um, so when you go look at that and and and, and what what's sobering about that, as you said, that's that's the high point, right? Yeah, 48 percent. Right? Every other all the institutions are lower than that, right? Are our collective net promoter scores really suck. Yeah, they really suck. And then, um, you know, I, th- I think going to some of the things you've um, written about and put out on your podcast, Andy, you know, no different than trying to drive great sales or be a great leader. I think you can you can have a playbook of all just competency-based skills. Um, and this was a similar conversation I had with the current dean of Harvard Business School that was um, insp- helped inspire 
um, part of writing the book, we've been very long on teaching um, leadership of competency, but fairly short on finding ways to teach leadership of character. And goodness is a word that people um, tend to be biased towards um, saying, hey, yeah, you know, I'm good. Here's the competencies I have, skill one, two, and three. But whether you're in sales, you're in marketing, you're in a CEO position, um, true leadership and true long-term effectiveness has to come from somewhere much deeper, much more authentic. And that is a lot about character and values. And I think that we're starting to recognize that, that um, being good is not just a nice to have. Um, it actually is something um, that will drive long-term success. And the most successful companies, the most successful people of course, they have that baseline of competency, but what really separates out those that are transformative, that create really um, uh, breakout value are those that can you know, go deeper and have a base of values and character. Yeah, I mean, you just to quote you from the book, you say, if you focus on the right people with the right values, the rest resolves itself. Yep. It seems like that's that's hard for people to come to accept, right? Given, given you know, Again, let's look at this age we're talking about. Yeah, not only do we have sort of decentralization and dis wide dissemination of information across, you know, let's say democratization of information throughout an organization, but we're also seemingly a little more uh, enthralled or enthralled to data, right? Yep. So, so, so it's like, you know, people are measuring themselves by their activities and, you know, these sort of, very hollow numbers as opposed to something that has real value associated to it. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think, you know, if there was a simple mantra to put forth uh, outside of the good people mantra I write in my book, you know, if you could drive towards just common values and common standards, um, that would be a pretty good business strategy for many companies. You know, can we get a set of common values in our people and common standards? Um, it turns out that is um, much, much harder to do because in a, in a data-driven world, in a left-brain thinking bias world, in a reward for competency, um, you know, world, um, we, 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 we need to remember more than ever, something so basic is how do you put that human element back into it? And yeah. going back to some of those things we talked on sales, you know, yeah. people can go through all the checklist, right? You can like, you know, identify X, Y, here's the, here's the cadence, here's the flow, you know, when do you do the close, yada, yada, yada. But really what I've found, it doesn't matter what role or you're playing, like, you know, people who remember to just remember to be human and authentically help others become a fuller and higher expression of their inner selves, um, they're the ones that end up being the most successful, right? Like you can- And increasingly you know, so, I believe. I mean, going forward, I think that in an environment where we're gonna see increasing levels of you know, automation, AI, machine learning, you know, not to overdo what it will be, but it's coming, right? It's, it's gonna be ever-present, is this idea of, being able to form human relationships is something that's outside the scope and province of a machine. And well, I, I think you're going to see the revenge of being human. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I think that people can master. I, Jeff Colvin, in his book, you know, "Humans Are yep. Underrated," uses this term: is is you know, we need to become more intensely human, and those of us who can uh, stand a better chance of succeeding in the long run. Couldn't couldn't agree more. Well, and that's sort of interesting. You bring up this idea about how do we find these people, right? I mean, because that's really the hard thing. People have a hard enough time hiring for competence, let alone hiring for values, and you have. Well, there's a professor from Yale that had published a piece in the New York Times, New York Times over the last year talking about you know research they're doing showing that that when they're interviewing candidates for jobs that actually there's a higher correlation to success on the job if they hired people without an interview just based on the their track record and their <laughs> their resume right mm-hmm. and their GPA uh, that you know interviews are sort of confusing things so it's like yeah how do we how do we put this together so people can uh, you know, hire people with the right values, bring the common set of values together. Well, in, in, in my book, I, I, I have a chapter on how to become a better judge of people. And I don't disagree with that premise that was put forth in the times. The response is not that we shouldn't interview. It is, you know, how should we interview differently? And I think going back to what I said earlier, I think we have cultivated um, a bias for interviewing for competency. Now, I, I, you know, most of those things, you're absolutely right. Or this professor is. You could just check those boxes off of a resume and 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 background checks and look at the person's track record there. I mean, I mean, you know, you know, there's there's not not much value add in 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 double clicking on many many of those things. I mean, if the person went to this top Ivy League school, had this GPA, had this promotion track record, all of those things are fairly obvious things to see. So in the interviewing process, the question is, how do we really interview for those character-based or those those elements of, of goodness? And and that just that just requires a very different um, mental model um, and mindset um, to 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 see if you are asking um, the right questions. So let me give a let, let sure. me give an example, right? Um, the the example that I that I that I give often is when 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 people are interviewing, they say, "Oh, okay, no, 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 Tony, I I, I asked them about you know, the, the the soft side. I asked them about their character. I said, well, what do you what do you ask? And probably the number one thing people say they ask, well, I you know I want to get a little bit deeper. I really want to understand the person's greatest weakness, right? <laughs> and 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 so I said, great. Well, you know, it turns out that there is a almost Pav- Pavlovian response to that question. I'm sure where people answer in one of three ways, right? Like the first is, hmm, you know, Andy. I'd say my greatest weakness is, you know, I'm too detail oriented. Yes. I think, you know, that that that's probably it. You know, if if if, if my workers had to point out one thing is that I just really sometimes get a little too deep in that in in those details. Then the second one is like, well, you know, I, I've tried the work life balance. I think I really <laughs> would say that my greatest weakness is there's just times I just work too hard. So, you know, my strength yep. is my weakness. I have a great work ethic, but sometimes, you know, you're gonna see when I work for you that I just work too hard. And then the third one, <laughs> like the hallmark freaking card of them all, is like, you know, Sometimes people just say, I care too much. Oh. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, you, you really, 
haven't learned anything because yeah. we we have learned how to answer um, the questions to be asked. Sure. So people say, well, well, okay, what do you do? Well, um, you know, you can you can do a couple of things. So I'll give one that is off interview and one that's on interview. If if you don't want to do the interview, I would say, well, if you had um, a two hour block to um, really uh, try to hire someone that was really important as executive leader, what we like to try to do with any of our CEOs is um, is is minimally have a meal with them. But one of the things we put forward from uh, one of our last partner discussions is, hey, can we can we try time to time if someone's really, really important? Why don't we invite them over to uh, one of our homes or our office and let's cook a meal together? Mm-hmm. There, there's something because one of my partners said, you know, I said, well, you know, who's very, very successful, um, has created multiple multi-billion dollar businesses. And he said, you know, the times I have learned the most about someone is, um, you know, just cooking a meal together with them, sharing an experience. So it turns out it's not necessarily different from how you would, you know, look at like evaluating on dating. You can go just by the data and the personal profile on something online. But if you want to get to know someone, you know, you're, you're probably not going to go on your first date. Can you please tell me what your greatest weakness is? <laughs> um, you, you know, cooking a meal um, with someone. But I think Adam Bryant uh, was um, from the New York Times gave, um, a, a great pairing of questions when we discussed this topic, you know, he said, well, you know, perhaps the best questions he's heard from interviewing is asking people, if you had to just choose a single trait, um, from your mother and from your father, what would it be and why? Now, what's the design point behind that question? Why does it get towards someone's goodness, a real character is that Basically, the types of questions you should be asking are ones that help reveal as opposed to ones that provoke rehearsed. Mm-hmm. And if you think about that, you get questions like that. I, I think it's such a great question of like trying to figure out um, what single trait someone would want to have um, from each of their parents and why. It's, a, it's, it's an example of a question that, you know, is not necessarily rehearsed. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. So, well, let me ask you a question, though, because, you know, you're a venture capitalist and, you know, you've written a whole book about, you know, goodness is values. And, yeah, I'm just sort of curious to get your thinking sort of in response to this, this almost seemingly weekly drumbeat of bad behavior being reported out of Silicon Valley, yep. you know, venture funded companies, whether it's established, you know, big companies like Uber or, you know, like Upload that they talked about last yep. week in the New York Times or social finance that's, you know, hit the, hit yep. the paper right there. Yeah. So, so where's what's missing? Because um, part of the VCs when you're making your your investment decision has to be who you're investing in, right? They always talk about we're investing in people, not not the mm-hmm. business. So what what's missing in those instances? I I think it goes back to how you frame uh, the type of leader uh, you want. Um, there are certain circumstances that I would say certainly warrant, um, very strong command control, pyramidal authoritative, um, systems, but by and large, especially in early stage companies, when you look at the trade-off that you can make, if you want a egocentric top down leader who is, 
wanting to have as his or her metric um, as a uh, barometer of success the number of followers they have, that is one modality. The other is what Tom Peters has said so eloquently uh, many years ago, is that really true leaders are in the business of producing other leaders uh, rather than followers. And I think that is the um, core and crux uh, uh, of of the schism, of the uh, issue uh, in the valley and other places, uh, of of what type of leadership uh, at a most foundational level uh, are you looking for? And my belief set and my premise is that long-term value and the most transformative value and the organizations that have the greatest retention, cultural engagement, are ones where the leadership philosophy is one where the number one priority is uh, when they say it's about people, they translate that into team building, which is translated into building leaders who build other leaders. Um, Having people who know how to bring out the best in others uh, by inspiring them to have the highest expression of their inner true self and um, that becomes a very virtuous circle um, of, uh, of, of positive culture and, uh, and, and, and a culture um, of, uh, of, of uh, trust and one that goes beyond competency to, to a set of values that um, say that I have a duty, yes, to lead, but in doing that, that duty is to um, help serve, and it is as important to be that lifelong student as it is to be a teacher to others. Yeah, and and the point you had made before is is not a cult of personality. Exactly. So you know, you, you know what? Yeah, yes and no. So generally speaking, I would say yes. But I think, you know, you, you know th- there's some pretty cultish, cool cultures out there that have formed because um, people generally care about each other. Oh, sure. And, I mean, and, they're, and help I each they're other. positive but, examples. But I understand yeah. in, the, in the traditional, um, you know, uh, uh, leadership persona, you, you, know, you know, styles, yeah, cult leadership of, uh, you know, single point of failure, you know, how, how do you – how do you, you know, spend time authentically um, trying to mentor, develop people, and have openness and transparency, and 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 that's, you know, that's what's that's what's missing. Uh, I'd say the valley has been way overly biased on competency, and um, you know, it goes back to what we've talked about. We need to put the human factor um, back in there. We need to, you know, have. Um, an element of, of heart and emotion, which is ironically, um, the, uh, y- you know, the, 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 the core source of what gets many of these great, great businesses going. Um, mm-hmm. but, then, but you know, you know, it comes from the heart of a founder, well, uh, but, but we got to maintain that and scale that set of values and emotion as opposed to letting that turn to, um, you know, ego and cult leadership and, um, you know, um, leaders who are just seeking followers. Yeah. And, and you raise this, this question from 
Georges Dorio uh, about, you know, you can have a, uh, an A idea with C people or a C idea with A people and you should invest in the latter as opposed to the former. Yeah. I mean, but does that scenario ever get presented to you? I mean, do you ever yes. have a situation where you're investing and saying, yeah, I don't know about this idea, but this guy's hot, all right, or this woman is hot, you know, in terms of their intelligence and their their vision and their personality and their values. We want to invest in them, but this is not the idea. Yeah, in fact, we're 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 taking that, you know, we you know, at our, at our firm, we 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 were founded with a human capital centric philosophy, uh, meaning to be truly, truly people first and to be people first, you know, in any decision you make, you, you think about, well, how does that impact the other people? What does this say about the person's character and, and ability? Um, and our, uh, most extreme version of it actually came this week in our, so we have not just a weekly deal pipeline, which is maybe more idea bias. Uh, we have a weekly people pipeline mm-hmm. where we review, um, the people that we should try to get to know in our ecosystem or cultivate relationships. And this week, an idea was put forth, um, by, um, some of my colleagues, which I'm embracing, which is, look, we should just put down this set of people in our entire relationship ecosystem where we should just make sure they know it doesn't matter what idea they have. Whenever they're ready to start something, uh, we're going to back them regardless um, because we believe in their combination of competency, but we really believe in their character, ability to be self-aware, um, to, to listen, to imprint goodness on others. Um, they, they, they represent the highest level of integrity, but, uh, by extension leadership potential. And, you know, that's, that's the extreme version. So the answer is not only yes. Um, we've seen things where, you know, I'd say like, you know, it hasn't been like totally off the deep end of a, idea that is just complete crap and you, you know you know should should go into sink disposal but i think it's like there there've been times where all of us sat around the table including with the entrepreneur and said you know we're not we're all collectively not sure what this is but we just have such deep belief in your general theme and and more important who you are that we should just back you um and and we have interesting Love it. Absolutely. All right. Well, unfortunately, we've reached the, the end of the show, but I, I do want to just finish with a quote, which I really love from the, the book uh, from General Schwarzkopf, Norman Schwarzkopf, uh, Desert Storm fame. He said he remarked about leadership. Leadership is the potent combination of strategy and character, but if you must be without one, be without strategy. Ditto that. Excellent. Excellent. All right, Tony. So great to have you on the show. Tell people how they can uh, connect with you and learn more about what you do. Yeah, well, thanks a lot, Andy. Uh, well, for the Good People book, obviously go to any major online uh, bookseller um, or aboutgoodpeople.com. Uh, in terms of connecting to me directly, you can find um, all the information uh, at uh, my firm's website, uh, which is at cueball.com, C-U-E-B-A-L-L.com. And my last name is spelled T like Tom, J-A-N. But as you've done, pronounce Chen. <laughs> you, you trained me well. So, Tony, again, thanks for being on the show. And friends, thank you for spending this time with me today. Make sure you come back. Join me for our next excellent episode of Accelerate. Until then, if you get a chance, really appreciate it. Go to iTunes, wherever you listen to this podcast. Subscribe. Leave us a review. 
We want to hear what we can do to make this a better experience for you. So until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.